Well, indeed, good morning, and I'm so glad to have all the kids in here on this fifth Sunday, because you guys will keep me alert as I try to keep you guys alert. How does that sound, all right? We continue today a series that we've been in uh, called Cross Training, and uh, Cross Training has to do with the critical inputs uh, for a vital faith. And uh, we've referenced this verse out of Hebrews, and it says this in Hebrews 12:1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We are in training to become like Christ and to serve the purposes of Christ. And uh, the spiritual disciplines is what we've been talking about. And it was a number of years ago now, I was uh, thinking about it this morning, 1978, I think, there was a gentleman, he was a Quaker theologian, he came out with... All right, we're good there. How's that? Want me to start over? No. It was in 1978. His name was uh, Richard Foster, Quaker theologian. He came out with this book called The Celebration of the Disciplines. At that particular time in my life, I was in high school, believe it or not. This was 30, what, about 37, 38 years ago. He came out with a book, and this book had to deal with disciplines that you and I can put into our life, and then he had the audacity to put the word celebration on the book. Because when you think of disciplines in your life, you don't think of celebrating. Some of the disciplines that you're under right now, whether physical training disciplines, financial disciplines, or whatever, you wouldn't say to yourself, I am celebrating these disciplines. But that book, The Celebration of the Discipline, came out in 1978. I remember that being an assignment for us uh, when I was in graduate school and seminary. And it made a huge impact on my life. Because I never thought about it before, that there are certain critical inputs, tools I would have in life, disciplines, calisthenics, however you want to describe it, that would help me become somebody that God intended for me to be. Now, we've talked about the trusting and the training idea. I trust in Christ. And his full righteousness is a part of my life. So Christ lives within me. But then, as Christ lives within me, I need to train myself into godliness so he can live through me. In the celebration of the disciplines, Richard Foster, he uh, describes the discipline this way. He says this. The creation, I'm sorry, God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life 
as a means of receiving his grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. They are God's means of grace. That's why it's a celebration. It's a means of grace. All of us like to receive grace. We enjoy being able to give grace. We bask in God's grace in our life. The celebration of the disciplines, a discipline is not something that is a drudgery. It's not a ball and chain around you. It's not a check it off your list. It's not a, oh, woe is me. I didn't accomplish what I was supposed to do this week. The disciplines that you and I need to incorporate in our life, these critical impulses, are for the purpose of receiving grace. So we celebrate them. We celebrate the disciplines. And, and we've chosen in this little series on cross-training to look at four in particular. We've looked at two. We've looked at shepherding. Last week we looked at the value of the scriptures. Today we're looking at something that maybe you don't think about. I know I didn't. But I've been reminded again in my life this week the importance of it, and that is solitude. And next week we'll finish up with the whole subject of uh, stewardship and actually something even broader than stewardship. Now, kids, you're in the service today, so this is cool. i got a couple questions to ask you related to your parents. Okay? You ready? It's just a simple yes or no, and um, you can raise your hand if it's a yes. And I might be embarrassed. There might not be too many. I don't know. But if my kids were all here, they, they, would, they would be saying yes. Um, how many of you kids have been in a car with your mom or dad and you're driving and they run out of gas? Has that happened to anybody in here? Some honesty, they've run out of gas. Of course, the Axine kids. I knew Josh pushes it, that's for sure. Well, for some strange reason in my life, I don't know, because I'm trying to get as far as I can on whatever, and I don't want to refill or thinking the price is going to go down or I forget about it or whatever it may be. I am notorious in my family for running out of gas. My extended family knows this, and I can point to you specific times when I have run out of gas. I remember one time we were headed back uh, to the extended family for Christmas, and we were on a Christmas Eve, late at night, snowstorm, and guess what? Five miles from my mom and dad's house. I ran out of gas. Now, you can imagine everybody in the car looking at me going, what were you thinking? It's Christmas Eve. I still remember having to go up to that home, knock on the door, and they were having a Christmas Eve party. And uh, I said, can I use your phone? This is back before there were phones, right? And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I, I, I feel really bad. And then I remember one time my parents dropped off their really nice car. They had a Cadillac. My only chance to drive a Cadillac. They dropped the car off. They said, would you take us to the airport? They were going on one of their cruises back in those days uh, when they had the opportunity to do that. And so I said, sure. Dropped them off. Drove the car for a week. I was feeling good. It was their vehicle, that kind of thing. I went to pick them up at the airport. On the way back from the airport, before I got back to my house, I ended up going off onto uh, an exit ramp because I ran out of gas. And my dad just looked at me and said, really, Terry? Really? You know? I remember another time that uh, we were on our way to Minnesota, family vacation. I could probably find the country road. And uh, actually, we were heading to Minneapolis, going through Iowa. And uh, we were actually there 24 hours in Minneapolis before. Remember when the bridge collapsed? In Minneapolis, there was an interstate bridge. It just collapsed, killed different people. We went across that bridge 24 hours before it collapsed. And so we're heading through Iowa, and my wife's like, I think you're pushing it. And I got it. 
And you get out in the Iowa, if you've been to Iowa, there's not a lot of stuff in Iowa. And if you miss one, you may be driving for quite a few miles. Sure enough, ran out of gas. Last thing they saw me was getting in the back of a pickup truck, and they said, we hope we see you again, Dad. <laughs> I brought gas back. And just recently, I think it was just uh, when we started to move out here, and uh, we were all back there, and, and uh, this was, I say this one was not my fault, because uh, the vehicle we had at that time, somehow, I, the, the gas gauge didn't work, right? So you can't be blamed. Gas gauge didn't work. I always keep it filled, but I could track how many gallons was being used. That kind of, I was positive. I'm good to go. There's no problem. This. We were rushing the whole family to the airport to throw them on a plane, right, to come out here except my oldest son. And so we're heading down the interstate towards that airport. Would you believe it? The car died. I'm thinking something's wrong with the car. All we knew, we were going to miss our plane. I got somebody to come get us. We threw our luggage in there. And I left my oldest son along the interstate saying, uh, I called AAA. They'll be here. <laughs> hey. Come to find out there was uh, a gas. They have a vapor lock. And I tried to fill it. And I thought it was full, but it wasn't. Now, you may not have parents who run out of gas in a car. But do you know, kids, that your parents run out of gas other ways and sometimes they're just tired, depleted, and they say what? Just give me some space. I just want to go have a nap. Has that ever happened? Yeah. And guess what? All of us that are adults in here, we would admit it, we have a tendency to run out of gas. And one of the reasons is because we don't look at the dashboard and the gauges that are on the dashboard to see how we're doing in life. And when it comes to this whole understanding of the celebration of the disciplines, critical inputs, and in particular the one that we're looking at today, you've got to make sure that you're looking at your dashboard. Now, on our dashboards, I always think in terms of there's a physical gauge, how am I doing physically? Have I gotten my rest? Am I eating well? Is there exercise happening? Whatever. And, and so well, I think I'm doing pretty good physically. All right? There may be some ailments, some other things going on you're working on. But then you say, well, there's a, the, another gauge on my dashboard, and that's the gauge of um, my spiritual life. How am I doing spiritually? Am I spending time in the scriptures like we looked at last week? Am I, am I you know, being able to, to be glad in my worship to God and what's going on? So we have the spiritual, I'm doing well. But then there's this other gauge that's in the middle of our dashboards, and that is the emotional gauge. And a lot of times we ignore that the emotional gauge is running not only on empty but on fumes because we've not given attention to the things that restore us and replenish us emotionally because we are running hard and fast and full and are trying to accomplish everything that we can. And I look around sometimes at us because I can reflect on my own life and I just want to say, slow down, stop, figure out what's going on the dashboards because you're going to run out of something here pretty quick and you're going to end up blowing a head gasket with the pace that you're going. And so the discipline that we're looking at today is this discipline of solitude. Solitude. And solitude is not something that we naturally would think of. Richard Foster says this, Solitude is the creation of an open, empty space in our lives by purposefully abstaining from interaction from other human beings, and I could say other devices, so that, Freed from competing loyalties, we can, and I like how it's phrased, 
not find God, but we can be found by God. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. You know, my grandparents, back in the early 1900s, both sets of grandparents were farmers. And it's interesting because if you went back to just 100 years ago, solitude was sort of a way of life, especially if you were a farmer. There were no planes flying overhead. There were no automobiles buzzing by, right? There were no cell phones ringing and emails to answer. You spent your time out cultivating the soil and raising the crop, and you spent time in God's creation. Solitude was a way of life. But what's happened over these hundred years, and especially as things keep getting faster and faster and faster, and you're expected to do more and more things because there's more and more opportunities to do more and more things, plus everybody else around you is doing those things. And so we get the pace picking up, and school picks up, and school has all kinds of activities going on, and the homework and the studies, and we have opportunities to do this and that on weekends. And before you know it, you're just like, where's where's some space? I need some empty space to be able to breathe. And we have to rewire ourselves and our lives in our current day so that we have an appropriate pace so our fuel gauges stay full or at least, you know, above a half a tank, whatever it may be. And we have to give opportunity for God to replenish us in our life. I was asking the Lord, because I do this for Jesus, I, I think he speaks to us, right? I asked Jesus this week, I said, okay, so solitude's on the docket. What do you really want to say to us as a people about solitude? And the one thing that came to be, and actually I think it came from a song many years ago too, was just simply the statement, I miss your time with me. I miss your time with me and I miss my time with you. Now, this doesn't say that God's not with us wherever we go and as we're seeking to, to serve him and the responsibilities of life. But there's something about being able to come away, creating an open space in our lives, purposefully abstaining from interaction with not only other human beings, but other devices and other responsibilities, you know, checking them at the door and spending time being freed from all those responsibilities, sometimes I call them the toxins of responsibility, and being found in a place that God can find us and we can find God. Question, do you have consistent, regular opportunity for solitude in your life? Now, let me clarify something here. Because solitude is different than isolation. Many times people find themselves in isolation, maybe because of season of life, they're lonely. But solitude is a purposeful kind of idea. And isolation, a lot of times people who are in pain, if you've ever been in pain, maybe you're in depression, what do you do? You want to just, just get away from me. I'm going to go hide in my cave. Because you just don't want to be around things. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about isolation. I'm not talking about, you know, running from something, running from pain. I'm actually sometimes talking about running into pain and pur purposely setting aside solitude before God to hear from him for you to draw close, for him to speak, for him to give 
words of encouragement. Because see, solitude is not just sitting around, you know, I'm going to do solitude today, I guess, Bowman. You said it's one of those celebrations of discipline, so I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. No, solitude is actually quite active. So here's my second question to you kids. Have any of you, this is a hard one, I'm going to first ask you the question. Have any of you ever been put in a timeout? All right. I appreciate that honesty. Now, hands down. Kids, whenever you go on a timeout, and maybe there's been a little bit of a spat or something going on. We actually, (laughs) this came up this week in our rooting group. Have any of you ever thought to yourself, after you got put in a timeout, Maybe it's not me that needs to be in a timeout. Maybe my parents need to be put in a timeout. Maybe you think your parents should be put in a timeout sometime? Actually, in our rooted group this week, one of the parents said, you know, it's like, you know, it was one of those weeks where I needed a timeout. I'm like, what? Yeah, I think I wasn't thinking well, and I was a little, you know, up. I'm like, yeah, we've all been there. We need the timeout. And what does a timeout do? As a parent, we're hoping the timeout for you kids gets you to slow down, calm down, and think about what you're doing. That's an active timeout. So solitude is an active timeout, and you can do it as kids as well. For adults... To be able to get before God and listen. Listen. No music going on. No piping this in. No watching that. No waiting for some bells to go off or notices. Just time. And sometimes, and I'll do this in solitude, I'll put and I'll put my hands at palms up and go, God, I just want to receive from you. What would you say to my soul, my prayer? Now, that's a scary thing to do for a lot of people because we keep activity going so we don't have to identify the pain or the indifference or even have to identify with who we are in and of ourselves. One of my statements sometimes when I... um, think about maybe you're in a problem situation you need to get out of that you need to go do something else I've had people come to me saying I just need to move I need to do something else and I look at their life and I'm thinking okay so you think the move you think a change of job or or whatever is going to solve the problem and I'm thinking to myself I don't know that the problem's circumstantial around you I think that the problem is internal and one of my statements is and I say this to myself for instance I said you know have you ever thought that wherever you go, there you are. Think about that. Wherever you go, there you are. Because the reality, a lot of times, what we're trying to get away from is ourself and our own brokenness, our own indifference. So wherever you go, there you are. And in solitude, there you are. You can't get away from yourself. Oh, take off my skin. I've got to do something. I've got to get out of it. No, there you are. And you were there before you're God, and even if you don't believe in a God, then the silence is almost even more deafening because you're like, what's the reality of life? Is this all there is to it? Friends, don't fear solitude. Don't ignore solitude. See solitude as a grace that works beauty 
in your life? And could it be that one of the critical disciplines in your life is not is not a discipline of activity or engagement, but it's a discipline of abstinence. The absence of activity and engagement. And God, in the midst of that solitude, and with that comes silence and other kinds of things that are a part of that discipline, there's a beauty of centering our soul before God. Because no matter where you are, wherever you go, there you are. God is there with you too, and God wants to meet you in that place. Silence can be deafening, but silence can also be beautiful because you can hear the voice of God. Now, our scripture today takes us straight to the life of Jesus. Jesus is by far much more than the example of life because of all of he's done and what he does to come and live within us. But, He is also our example. And I want to just do a flyover of several verses related to the life of Jesus. And what do we find with him as our example? Matthew 4.1, and we referenced it last week with the scripture when we concluded, but this is where Jesus uh, was tempted by um, the devil before he started his ministry. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was about 30 years of age at this time into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now, he wasn't tempted until after he spent 40 days fasting in this desert, and he's getting prepared for his ministry. God's ministering to him. And so it wasn't that he was led by the Spirit for the purpose of getting tempted by the devil. That was sort of the conclusion of the story, and Jesus came back and he quoted Scripture to the enemy to overcome the enemy like we talked about last week. But it says that Jesus was led by who? The Spirit into the desert. And could it be it's not just a maybe moment of time of solitude in your week. Maybe you're in a desert experience of life and God's trying to get you to dig out your ears and to hear from him more and things just maybe you're finding yourself in places of solitude and aloneness. But you are being led by the Spirit at all the times because God's coordinating and orchestrating your life to be used for his glory and for him to reveal himself to you. And so here's Jesus. You would think, hey, Jesus, the Son of God. Now let's get at it. Let's knock it down. I'm 30. Let's knock off this ministry. You know, I don't know if Jesus, how he knew everything, what was going on before him or not, or how he discovered it, those kinds of things. Those are always big questions. But I would be thinking, you know, hey, let's uh, put him into training. Let's get him into seminary. Let's get some other things going. No, no, he put him in a desert for 40 days. And friends, a lot of the strength that you find from Jesus comes by not just this time, this period of 40 days, but that consistent, continual involvement and engagement with his father. Matthew 14, 23 says this. After he had dismissed them, dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Alone. Jesus would have this time of engagement, then he would have this time of pulling back. It was a rhythm that went on in his life. Mark 1.35 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So it could have been in the morning, it could have been in the evening, both those verses reference those different times. But Jesus had this eternal clock within him where he was able to read his gauges and he knew if life had gone out from him, if a lot of ministry activity had gone out, life activity itself doing things, and his gauges were running low, that he would need to withdraw to lonely places of solitude. Morning, evening, you name it, and he would find himself 
being replenished and refueled, drawing near to his father. It goes on. There's, uh, there's other verses that we, and there's a lot we can enumerate, but let me look at Luke 4.42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. You know, he had a lot of people clamoring around him, and you may not have a lot of people clamoring around you, but you have responsibilities and those kinds of things, and they're coming and speaking. You've got your to-do list that's in your mind. Like, I've got to get to those things today. I've got some things I've got to get to this afternoon before I come back for chili dinner tonight. I'm thinking, okay, i got to get it. And so the, the pressing needs as well as pressing people around you, and they came, and, and I don't know, can you imagine being there with Jesus during those few years that he did physical earthly ministry? It almost be like, where'd Jesus go? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? I don't know. Where'd he go? Oh, you know, where'd he... oh, there he is. He's off there again by himself. Does he not know that we really like him? And they would go track back down and try to pull him back in the gates, but he knew how he needed to spend that time with the Father and engagement. Luke 6, 12 says this. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. He had a pretty big decision to make, didn't he? I still am amazed. How did you decide on the 12 that you picked? And even one didn't come through, right? But I'm thinking, you know, he knew that the decision of who to pick as the 12 was dependent upon him being in close connection with God. You got any big decisions going on in your life right now? And you're just worried, you're maybe trying to find a job, and you're searching on the internet, those things. Maybe what you need to do is just pause, spend some time. Because God wants to be there in presence, in voice, all right, in encouragement to help you make those kinds of decisions. And then Mark 6, 31. He not only did solitude himself, spending time with the Father, but he instructed his disciples as well. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, his disciples, close by, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Let's go, guys. Let's head out of here. We are not wired to be continually in the engagement of activity. And then, of course, the final solitude, one I point out, comes when he was facing the cross. Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. Jesus went out to do, as usual. Isn't that interesting? As usual. You sort of like, as usual. Where'd he go? Oh, he's out there again. As usual. All kinds of things were starting to break down that night. He said to his 12, need to go. Going to go to the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives was across the little valley from Jerusalem. Um, if you stand on the Mount of Olives, you see Jerusalem. You would see um, ultimately the place where he would end up being crucified. He had a place, he had a spot that he went to, and it says Jesus went on as usual to the Mount of Olives. He had a place he went to. Do you have a place that you can go to? We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. And his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw away from them 
knelt down and prayed. And he said, verse 47, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel of the heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus would say to you, I missed my time with you. I want to strengthen you. Whether by angel or by the inner prompting of spirit, I want to refuel your gauges. I want to speak to you. Are you willing to come away to a place and listen to my voice? You know, we said with the whole shepherding discipline in John 10, we said that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd, right? And sometimes I think as it comes to us leaning into the great shepherd, the shepherd, uh, we don't recognize his voice because we don't spend a lot of time trying to listen to his voice. What do you mean listen, Terry? I mean, like, is that my own so that's my subconscious thoughts? I mean, there's some really crazy thoughts that come when I get in silence. Now, they could be your subconscious crazy thoughts. Or maybe God through his spirit is trying to transcend some incredible it's even better than mobile phones. And he wants to speak directly to your heart and your conscience. But you have to spend time listening. And where might those places be for you to be able to come away and spend time with him? I'm going to turn this part over to you. Because I know many of you have some beautiful disciplined lives as it relates to walking with the Lord. But let's just share together in a few moments. You don't have to stand. Raise your hand. I'll call on you. What are some things you've learned in this area of solitude? Or what is a place that you go to to have solitude? Or what are some things that, that you put into your time be able to hear from God and, and to see your soul restored. Anybody want to just give out of their own life some thought? Maybe something as simple as where is the place that you go to for solitude? Anybody? I'm going to get some mothers that say the bathroom. I'm sure. Yeah. All right. Okay. You have a place in your bedroom, Diane. Okay. Vicki? On your bed. Daniel. All right. Driving in your car when the kids fall asleep. That, that's true. It wouldn't be solitude until they fell asleep, right? Yeah. But if they're asleep, you're there. You're there. Mike. Okay. In your office, three portraits. What are those three portraits? Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. And those call you out in your place of solitude. Yeah. There you go. Beautiful. <laughs> talk to me like you talk to them. Others, yes. Lookouts really like get up on a precipice and to see over. Yeah, that's pretty cool. 
then you can do that here. Where I came from, you couldn't do it. So that's a great idea. Chanel. <laughs> you walk and you walk on my road. Yep, I walk on those roads too. In fact, I, uh, this week, I, uh, sometimes I ask my kids if they want to go with me just to sort of do some combination. But then I thought, I am speaking on solid this week. So I go and I get, uh, we live on some, out on some open acreage, dirt road kind of stuff. That's why Janelle just men mentioned what she does because she lives in a subdivision real close. And I go and I get my folding chair. And I go up to a little bit of a hill, a precipice that helps me look out. And I plop my chair there with my dog. My dog takes off and runs crazy and bugs some neighbors probably. And I say, Lord, let me watch the sunset and let's listen and let me hear from you. That's a good example. Someone else, places you would go. Okay? All right? That's interesting. Going to the gym, everybody else has got the music going, that kind of thing. But you were able to just hear the whine of the treadmills or other things maybe, yeah. What, what about when you're in those places of solitude? And I hope that you can have a picture of one right now. And if you don't have a picture of one, I really encourage you to grab a hold of one. Find it. And sometimes I'll change them up in different places. Like sometimes I haven't been doing my prayer walks as much recently uh, because there's an, another place on our residence I go I'm sitting okay I'm, I'm, I'm in this chair and I'm going to uh, it's outside and I'm just going to listen to God I need to unwind from this moment what when you find that place uh, what are there any suggestions of what you do to be able to find yourself closer to God in that moment or allow yourself to be found by him anybody want to throw out some things if you do turn the radio down chuck the radio Anybody else? I usually pray about completely ignoring my phone. Hmm. Just immediately pray and ask for protection of that space and that time. Yeah, I, that's a good one. That's a good one. And, you know, sometimes all kinds of worries come to your thoughts. Sometimes I'll take a pad of paper, and if something comes up, like, I, gotta, I can't forget that. i got to do that. i got to remember to do that. You're like that. Maybe you're going to bed at night. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Just grab it, write it down. And then you're able to sort of like discard that worry. You know it's written down. You can give address to it later. Other things that you might do when you're in this solitude, the space. Yes. Okay. Okay. You start listing off things that you're thankful for that God's been faithful in. And it gets you what? Gets you God-centered. How many of you come in on a Sunday morning and you're just glad to have gotten here? You're worried that the kids really don't look like they should have looked because they didn't quite get ready and you're worried. About, and, and then about two songs in, it dawns on you. Oh, yeah. We're supposed to be worshiping. You've been even singing the words. But your mind's been all over the place. We have to discipline our minds to come and be in the place of worship and to hear from God. And those are those are some of the kinds of disciplines you're saying that when you get in that place of solitude, it's just not like, all right, come on, send the angel. No. Now quiet yourself down. Discard the thoughts that are rumping rampant, running rampant, and then you're going to maybe do some disciplines to get you to hear the voice of God. You see, 
solitude actually is combined with silence. In fact, some people say solitude is actually the context in which to do a lot of the other disciplines, the training. And so the whole issue of Scripture, last week we looked at, you cannot let Scripture saturation happen in your life unless you have the place and time where that can happen. So solitude really peaks to the top, even though it's sometimes a scary thing to, because wherever you go, there you are, and there's your problems, there's your thoughts. And your, no, solitude is the context in which God can minister his grace through many of the other disciplines. What about time of day? How many of you like to have solitude in the morning? That's interesting. How many of you are more evening? Good. All right. Some of that, is that just the nature of life itself? I'm an evening person or a, a late, late afternoon kind of thing. If I can pre- and, and so you spend a lot of time you know, trying to get the day going and that kind of stuff. But Jesus, more often than not, he was a morning person. See, he rose early in the morning with people. I'm like, boy, Jesus didn't have any kids. And then get the kids off to school at 6 a.m., right? Get them up going. And so, you know, you have to dial in to how you're made and how you're wired. And don't let somebody else's way of doing the Jesus thing put pressure on you. You are who you are. Find out how you're wired. But craft that time to do it. And if you're a really busy person, friends, you are a really busy person. You can find time during the day. I remember there was a semester in college that I like I. I don't know how I got so many papers lined up back to back to back to back to back. And I said, God, this is not going to be good. It's not going to be good, especially because I don't see a lot of time I'm going to have with you. And so I specifically designated my my 45-minute window for lunch to not go sit with my friends but head to a back corner table. And what I did was I walked through the minor prophets over the course of several weeks. Why do I remember that all these years later? is because God met me in the midst of a very busy semester because I took something I naturally do and I carved out that time and made it the God time. The same thing with maybe driving a car if you're commuting a lot or whatever. You have to find and capture your moment. I've got 10 to 15 minutes here, maybe before the kids come home from school or something. Find your time. But wire it according to how you're made. Okay? There's a lot of other things that I could really exhort us to in this, but... I want to sort of give you a summary video to watch here in a second. But Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I think the thing that puts solitude front and center as a spiritual discipline in our life has to do with our hunger and our passion. Do we want to know God? See, sometimes when we're living in sin or running some directions we shouldn't, we, we oh, forget the solitude, man, because I know what's going to happen in that solitude. Conviction's going to come. God's going to point out some things that need to be changing. Know this. God's not out to destroy you, kill your joy. God's out to tenderly woo you back into a loving relationship with you. And even if he's pointing out those sin areas in your life, you can confess those sins, lay them before him, restore the fellowship with him, and continue to move. When those who seek me with all their heart get active, they will find me. Salvation Army has a area of their ministry that has to do with spiritual formation, spiritual development. 
there's a couple uh, individuals, leaders in Salvation Army, that wrote a book called An Army on Their Knees. And, uh, you know, Salvation Army and what they do, but the whole concept of being able to be in prayer, being on your knees. And I want you to take a quick look at this. It summarizes some of the thoughts for us um, as we close as it relates to this subject of solitude, silence and solitude being a discipline in your life that you receive God's grace and some of the ways we can go about doing that. Can you remember the last time you were in total silence and solitude, free from electronic devices, external noises, and completely alone? How long did the quietness last for? We often need to free ourselves from noisy distractions and the constant presence of people around us, so that in silence we can separate time to meet with God by ourselves, focusing on who he is and on his love for us. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The prophet Habakkuk declared, God is in his holy temple. Quiet everyone. A holy silence. Listen. A helpful way to do this is going on a silent retreat or simply setting aside a period of time in your daily activities to be alone with God. Make sure you are comfortable and be still inwardly. Intentionally place yourself in the presence of God, choosing a simple word or phrase that expresses your desire for him, such as, I am here, I am with you, and focus on it. If your mind wanders, don't worry. Gently guide your thoughts back to the center of God's presence. Be with Jesus. Listen. Be still. Enjoy his presence. You may want to choose a scripture meditation to help focus your thoughts and engage in a personal conversation with the Lord. Psalm 139 is a good starting point. Thank the Lord for his care for you. Maybe detailing specifically what he saved you from and what he saved you for. Allow the Holy Spirit to show you the goodness of the Lord that has been following you all the days of your life. Ask the Lord to reveal to you what he loves about you and why he made you. And maybe ask him further questions, such as, God, how can I love you deeper? Where do I need to grow? What breaks your heart? Where is there sin in my life? In all of this, listen for his response. Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. An inner impression, a verse of scripture, or perhaps a picture may come to your mind. Meditate on these, testing if they are in accordance with God's character and his word, and reflect on his love for you.
worship team to come and uh, we're going to sing a last song. But let me just remind you of the phrase that I felt Jesus gave me for us, maybe for you. Jesus himself sitting before you, simply saying, I miss my time with you.